everyone, and welcome to the Wired KC Women in Real Estate Development podcast, where women share their stories and their journeys through real estate investing and focus on educating and empowering a strong community of women. Today, I'm your host, Nusheen Shalari. Today, we have an awesome guest, uh, one of my really great friends. She inspires me, motivates me. Um, she's a, an amazing woman. And we're going to talk about real estate being within reach and how she started as an occupational therapist. And now she's managing an entire real estate empire. Um, she's truly a bold, strong, and powerful woman. And I'm excited for us to jump in and be inspired today. Phoebe, if um, you could introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background about how you got started. Thanks, Yusheen. That was a really great introduction. So yeah, my name's Phoebe Davenport and I am a real estate developer and uh, landlady. I started out my career actually as an occupational therapist working in geriatrics, which really has nothing to do with real estate, it turns out. But um, as I started to think about having a family of my own and um, what I want, the path I wanted for my life, I decided that I wanted to generate passive income and not be kind of running on the hamster wheel of trading my hours in the day for a paycheck and paying the bills and then going back and doing it all over again. So that is what got me started in real estate in the first place was the concept of generating wealth and passive income. Very cool. I mean, I think that's uh, as a, as a mother or even just someone with a family, that's the dream, right? When family comes first and you want to make sure that you're nurturing the next generation and having time to actually travel and do other things that you love to do. It's like, why not? Um, (laughs) yeah. So how did you actually like find out about real estate even being a possibility? I know, um, a lot of times in school, we're not taught about investing. We're not taught about real estate um, as a good investment method. How did you find that out and then shape your first deal? Actually, the first time I thought of it was right after I got married. My partner and I had a rental property. Of course, we were renting and our landlord was really young. And I thought, huh, interesting. Like I never thought of being the owner when, I mean, he probably was like in his mid twenties, maybe late twenties, but pretty young. He felt like a peer in some ways. So that was the first thing that turned me on to the concept of of owning the real estate. But then, like I said, as I got a little um, older and was having, starting to have kids, the, I, I knew a few people that had a duplex maybe, or a couple of units and they had some income that was offsetting their expenses so that they didn't have to work so hard at the nine to five job. And uh, yeah, that's what got me into real estate in the first place. It's interesting actually, because in the very beginning, I thought, well, if you can have a duplex and have someone pay your mortgage, essentially, if you live in half and they pay the other half, um, why not have like a (laughs) hundred or 200? And I remember having this idea of like, the sky's the limit, even from the beginning. Exactly. And that's so cool that you say that because when you have that vision, that's all you need a lot of times. And if you're already a hardworking person and you already have the drive to better your current situation and you have that big vision, then that's where you're going and that's all that you see. But if your vision is small, 
that's what where you'll go. So I that's super inspiring. I love that you mentioned that. How was that, um, you know, first deal that you put together? Like, I know, you know, managing your first property isn't always easy, even if it's a duplex. How did you manage all the pairs, especially if it's an old building? Yeah, well, our first property was a duplex and it was bank owned. Um, So we really went in it pretty blind. Um, I should say, let me back up a minute. We owned a single family house and we bought it as a home for ourselves and we renovated it as a home for ourselves. We put in, you know, wood floors and a nice kitchen and all of that. And then we decided to move overseas for a couple of years. And instead of selling the house, we rented it out while we were gone. And um, that was actually our first rental experience. And it was pretty challenging. We were very green. We were totally green as landlords. And the tenants that we ended up with, we ha- I think they might have been the second tenants we had, but they were terrible. I mean, they were like professional squatters. And they kind of, I feel like they kind of preyed upon us because they knew that we didn't know anything about landlording. So we had legal issues. We ended up having to, to having to evict them. They reported us to the city for different things. It was kind of a dramatic situation, but a steep learning curve for us. And those kinds of situations, I always look back and think, you know what, it wasn't fun at the time, but I'm happy for the knowledge that I gained from that experience because it saved me a lot of headaches and time and money in the future. So, yeah. Exactly. And like you were saying, when you scale to 100 or 200 units, why not learn that when you only have one versus when you have a a lot more on the line? Yeah. And it felt really, um, it felt terrible at the time. (laughs) (laughs) And very like catastrophic because it was um, a single family house. So not having rent coming in and having all the expenses still was really challenging. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thanks for sharing that. That's, um, that's a good experience to learn from and for the rest of us to learn from. So let's, I kind of want to dive in a little bit to how you basically started from your small duplex or in single family home and kind of scaled that um, into a little, little bigger of a portfolio and then to kind of a full scale, full time um, commercial arena that you play in now? Yeah, well, so we sold that single family home and bought a duplex. I started to mention that bank owned duplex. And from the very beginning, actually, with all of our properties, we, my partner and I were really hands on with the renovations. So we learned a lot. (laughs) I had a few skills going into it, like I'd done some drywall tiling and painting. But my partner had really never done much of that. He had a little bit of experience um, with woodworking, um, but not much. And we made a lot of mistakes in the beginning. We had a few friends that had a lot of experience and we'd call them if we got in a pinch and we got stuck on something. (laughs) Um, We YouTubed a lot. Um, But yeah, so really the way that we built our balance sheet, I guess I would say, or we built equity in the properties was through the DIY and renovating it ourselves. So we always bought fixer uppers, um, that bank owned property that I mentioned, we invested a ton of money and a ton of time into it in order to increase the value and to make it habitable. 
And then from there, we were able to draw, because that was um, our primary residence at the time, we were able to get a HELOC or a home equity line of credit against that once we renovated. And the HELOC was the down payment for our second property. And that property was also a fixer-upper for unit property that mostly just needed cosmetics, though. Didn't need a lot of major system upgrades, but paint, flooring, um, you know, that kind of stuff, a freshen up. And we snowballed it from there. So um, once we had those two properties, which was a total of six units, we were like, okay, well, what do we do now? And I've always heard about refinancing to try to get cash out of a property, but <laughs> no banks would do that for us. So I think because we had just finished the renovations and they weren't really... Um, I don't know why they, uh, the appraisal on our first property came in super low because there wasn't a buyer to kind mm -hmm. of corroborate the value of the property. Um, and I know, again, a lot of people do refinancing, but we just weren't able to do that. So we were like, well, we don't want to stop here. So why don't we sell what we have and buy more? Cause we had built a lot of equity in those two properties by then. So we sold those two properties. We did a 1031 exchange in order to defer the capital gains tax. And we reinvested into three more properties, but we went from having six apartments to having 15. Wow. So the properties were a little bit bigger. And yeah, we then continued to renovate. <laughs> Uh, two of those three properties really needed extensive renovations. Um, one of them had commercial units that we ended up dealing with some zoning, rezoning with the city and we converted them into residential because they were in an area that had zero commercial, like everything around was residential. So it was really kind wow. of an all scenario. Um, so yeah, that was a big learning experience. <laughs> and yeah. then again, when we got to the end of renovating and fixing up all those units, we were like, okay, well, what do we do now? Because we were in the same situation where we couldn't find a bank, a bank to do a refinance and pull some cash out. So we sold them all again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, um, Yeah. The timing of that, when we sold that kind of second portfolio was when we had moved to Kansas City. And we moved to Kansas City intentionally. Those first properties were on the East Coast in New Hampshire, which is where I'm from originally. Mm -hmm. But we were moving to Kansas City and we just saw a huge opportunity for real estate because the prices are dirt cheap compared to the coast. Right. <laughs> and we knew we wanted to invest our capital here so that we could grow even more. And we saw it as an opportunity to really scale our business because mm -hmm. the kind of properties that we could get in the Midwest for the dollars that we had from the East coast were really, um, significantly bigger, let me say in terms of the size. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, it's so cool that you even thought of that, you know, you weren't, stuck in your situation and just in your city but you were able to think out of the box like very uh, like a true entrepreneur right like mm -hmm. jumping into a whole nother city um I guess what was your what was your mindset did you have like a backup plan if this didn't work out 
or anything? Um, that's an interesting question. And I will say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, for both my partner and I, we've traveled around quite a lot. We've moved in a number and lived in a num- number of different places. He's originally from the UK. So he'd already done international move. Both of us lived overseas. We lived overseas together for a little while. So I think it's kind of in our DNA to adventure and to just kind of see where the road takes you. And um, I, my philosophy in life is that like, if it doesn't work out, you just take a turn and move on down the road. There's another, you know, another way forward, but I'm not really the five-year plan or two-year plan, even kind of a person. So mm-hmm. we're just kind of rolling with it and see where life takes you. Very cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, so how did you, um, with, you know, having a bunch of bunch more units, having a lot more to renovate, how did you manage all of that? Like, did you have to change your DIY strategy up at all? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So when we sold our New Hampshire properties and reinvested that in, um, the Midwest, we, did another 1031 exchange and that's how we got the moved moved the equity over to new properties but the first property we purchased was 100,000 square feet it's 12 story tower that's a mix of mostly apartments and then some commercial spaces as well and we knew that when we bought that property we weren't doing hands on anymore because it's just too big, <laughs> too big yeah. for two people. And it's actually, that property is about three hours away from Kansas city. So we were also commuting and we wanted a local property management company and local maintenance staff and people to do the renovation and maintenance for us. So we completely shifted at that point where we were doing hundred percent of the property management renovations and maintenance. And then we went literally to zero of that. Now well, I'm going to say 5%. Yeah. <laughs> zero. But we, um, we went basically to the other extreme. So yeah. yeah, it was kind of a drastic change, but being, having that distance between us and the property mm-hmm. kind of required that. And we really wanted to make that change too. So it was helpful for us not to kind of slip back into old habits because geography was prohibitive yeah exactly and I guess why Hutch like why Hutch and not Kansas City good question so yeah the properties we bought when we first moved to the Midwest are in Hutchinson Kansas which is um, about three hour drive from KC the reason we bought there is because you can get a lot more for your money. Again, we knew we wanted to scale our business and we wanted to buy something that was just much bigger than what we had done before. Um, I should mention too, that the properties we owned in New Hampshire were kind of in outlying areas. So the most desirable places in the area are generally pretty expensive. So in New Hampshire, it's the seacoast being close to the ocean and, um, that's what drives up the price in certain towns. As you get a little bit further away from the coast, it's cheaper real estate. So even in New Hampshire, we were kind of buying in those outlying areas, not in the center of the action, so to speak. So we got more value for our money there too. And that was kind of our philosophy was to go for uh, cost effective purchase price. So yeah, Mark was looking, Mark, my partner was looking at, 
properties all around the region. So he looked at all of Kansas, all of Missouri, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and the property listings just came up in one of the searches that he did. And we're, as we looked at the address, we were like, where's Hutchinson, Kansas? <laughs> the Google Maps. Okay, about a three-hour drive. So yeah. yeah, we went out to Hutch and checked out the properties and decided to make an offer. That's awesome. And what is it like managing um, a property that's three hours away? And why did you choose to have it all in one area and not kind of spread out your risk or your portfolio? Yeah, well, there were two properties that we saw when we first went to Hutch. They had the same owner at the time. And we saw the addresses were right across the street from each other. So we're like, well, maybe it's kind of like a package deal. And they weren't, they were listed totally separately. But um, when we realized that we were going to be there for one property, we were like, why not do both? Because it will make it more worth our while to make the drive and, and all of that. So we bought those two properties a few months apart. The first one was in July of 2020. And the second one was in January of 2021. So yeah, so we bought those two properties. And then the third property, um, a local owner actually, we, Mark saw the property again, because it's one more block away. <laughs> Other two properties and Mark saw the listing and he thought, this is a cool building, maybe we could check it out. And I went to see it, but I was like, nope, we have enough on our plate right now, let's leave it. And then the owner kind of chased down our realtor and was like, hey, I think they should buy the property. Hey, I think they should buy it. and I was like, no, oh, no, we're okay. And it turns out that <laughs> we were easily convinced. So that was the, we bought that third property and all three of those properties are a block away from each other um, or within a block, I should say. That's awesome. So really close. And it makes it easier for us to manage from a distance because when we go, we can kind of check on the scene for all three properties. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think hiring a good property management company is really crucial part of being able to do it from a distance. So for the first two years, we went to Hutch once a week. Um, sometimes it was for two or three days. Some, and then over time, it kind of dropped down to one day a week. And now we're going more like once every other week. So wow. yeah, finding people to take responsibility for the work and to be trustworthy, I think, is the only way you can have properties in a place where you're not. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it does take a lot of, you know, a lot of boldness to just give, you know, like give that responsibility to someone else full time and not try to micromanage, but mm-hmm. in leadership in um, entrepreneurship and building a company and even in real estate investing, you have that those that same like leadership principle of being able to finally step away and um as i say have your successes and your successors right and mm-hmm. have them be able to manage um the properties without you micromanaging them all the time so um that's that's great to hear that you're finally able to do that um and very very cool i guess what keeps you up at night um, you've painted almost a, a, a great picture of uh, managing and having real estate, but I'm sure there's things that 
um, still come up uh, on a regular basis. So what keeps you up the most? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that just the thought that I'm forgetting something, (laughs) there's a lot of balls up in the air um, and a lot of, yeah, just a lot of plate spinning, so to speak. So to, I, I, when I lay in bed at night, I'm thinking of all the things that I might not be remembering. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to think through them. Um, And also it's just a lot of responsibility in terms of the finances, because as our business has scaled the numbers, you know, there's zeros tacked on the end and you start thinking like, hey, can I sustain this? You know, um, the decisions become weightier, I guess I would say in that regard. So that that's a load to carry. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I guess, how was it like working with investors and having to carry that responsibility? How do you set yourself up for success there? Yeah. So the way we started working with investors was that we felt like we had more bandwidth to work on properties than we had money to do the work with. And we knew some people that had money, but not time. So we were thinking, why don't we kind of marry the two where they can make something for their money and we can make more money off of our kind of sweat equity contribution. So it started out like that with people that we knew pretty well, actually some of them we've known for decades. So there was really pretty well established relationship there and a lot of trust from the beginning. Um, But yeah, that was also a risky step to take in order to work with somebody else's money, because when it's your own, of course, it's really significant. But if you lose your own money, you only have yourself to be accountable to. Right. Uh, So yeah. And I think in the beginning, we didn't manage the money as well as we could have, because we weren't willing to spend it in the same way that we would spend our own money. And what I mean by that is that we were thinking very cautiously about what we did with the money, but really where we found the success was from kind of boldly going into new areas. And, um, and that's where we saw the growth. So we learned pretty early on to just kind of treat once the investor made the investment, we just kind of treat it like, Hey, we're going to spend this the way we like to spend money, which is frugally, but also we, we do kind of make bold choices with our investments and that's where we see the growth. So we're going to do the same thing. And that has worked out a lot, a lot better for us than it did in the very beginning. So, yeah, that's cool. I I think I'm hearing a theme, baby. I think I'm hearing take (laughs) risks, be bold, go for it, have vision. Um, I think those are my three takeaways so far. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think that's great. Honestly, I, I think a lot of people get hung up on the part of just taking action because there's a lot you can know. There's always more to know, but you, you're not going to be able to really learn all that stuff and still, until you start acting on it, acting on what you do know, and then you'll figure it out as you go along. And it's really important to me to think about the idea that it's not out of reach for anyone because, you know, we started in the beginning, we had 
hammers and <laughs> drills and things like that. And we did have a little bit of resource, obviously, in order to buy some tools and things, but it's totally accessible. Like working in real estate, if you're going to do DIY, it's blue collar work. It's not rocket science. You can figure it out and you can build a lot of wealth through your time and investing, investing skills, I guess, that you can grow over time. So, you know, we weren't anything. I mean, I was trained as an occupational therapist. My partner's trained as a professional drummer. So <laughs> the skill sets that we brought to the table really had nothing to do with real estate. But being, if you're willing to learn, you, anybody can really figure it out and uh, make go of it. Very cool. Well, Phoebe, I feel inspired and energized um, speaking with you, and I'm sure all of our listeners do as well. One last question before I let you go um, to get back to um, managing your real estate empire. Um, what is the value of being a woman in this industry and in this field today? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I think that women bring value everywhere. And of course, each woman brings different value to the table. But I think some of the skills that I have that are maybe more stereotypical female ones are um, being organized, being able to multitask. Um, I think empathy is really important too. So a lot of our housing is more on the affordable side of things. So, you know, it's important to me to provide housing for people that don't have a lot of resources. And um, there's a huge need for that in the market. So I think having that empathy piece and being able to target the needs that are out there. Um, I think that brings a lot to the table. So exactly. I completely agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Phoebe. And thank you for listening to the show this month. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And even if you want to write us, our email is wiredkc at gmail.com. And this was Phoebe Davenport, an excellent woman in, in our real estate group here at Wired. I'm Nusheen Shalari, and you've been listening to the Wired KC podcast. <laughs>